three more reasons for certain hope. Because being a Christian can sometimes be incredibly tough. And you might be sometimes tempted to wish that the gospel to which God has called you really did work as some preachers say it does, that it lifts you out of and away from all afflictions and struggles and sufferings. But no, the way of suffering was the way of Christ and the way of suffering is the way of those who follow after Christ. It's the unavoidable consequence of having been called to a life of godliness and righteousness when all around you, and even still within your own body, there is ungodliness and unrighteousness. A spiritual battle raging. And at the heart of that battle is the personal walk of each individual Christian believer as they engage in the spiritual warfare that comes your way every single day. And with all of creation, we groan, longing for that final state of glorification, to have a new, resurrected, transformed body, free at last from the presence of sin, to live in that place where only righteousness dwells. We can't even begin to imagine, really, what that will be like. Just to know it will be wonderfully glorious. And we're to remember that compared to the weight of that glory, which is yet to be, our troubles and sufferings are light. And compared to the eternal nature of that glory, they really are but for a moment. But it's still really hard sometimes, isn't it? But Paul hasn't finished speaking about the help that God gives us. Likewise, he says at verse 26, likewise, because all of these things are all connected that we're reading about in this chapter. Verse 26 is a continuing train of thought. It's not something completely new. And he has three more things to encourage us with this evening. Three more reasons why you can live in certain hope. And here's the first of them. When you have no words, the Father hears the Spirit, His Spirit, which He has put within you. This is verses 26 and 27. The, the Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what we should pray for as we ought. We don't sometimes. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groans which cannot be uttered. Prayer is the mark of a born-again believer. The desire to commune 
and communicate with your heavenly Father. That becomes a natural response in the Christian. We saw that back in verse 15. The Holy Spirit causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. If you're a Christian, that's what happens. This response is the result of the Holy Spirit's work within you. But the reality is that sometimes, even though you know that you should pray, even though you may want to pray, you do not know what to pray. And sometimes you don't feel as if you can pray. God has put the treasure of the gospel into weak earthen vessels. And guess what? He knows it. He knows it. There will be times when the affliction, the pressure, the complexity, the hurt and the pain, the inner conflict and uncertainties, the fear, the degree of endurance that's required to keep on keeping on in Christ, you are left lost for words. You have no idea what to say. You're really not sure what to ask. Not sure in prayer which way to turn. Struggling even to order your own thinking sometimes. Such are the afflictions that the Lord's people can find themselves going through. Have you ever been there? I know I have. Maybe some of you are in that kind of place right now. Was it not the case that for a time in Gethsemane, that's where Christ found himself for a time? As he was sweating drops of blood? Were there moments where all he could do was groan within his soul? We read his heavenly father sent an angel to comfort and strengthen him because his struggles were known. Or it might be a great burden on your conscience, a great burden on your soul that God would hear and answer your prayer regarding a particular thing. But it just seems that that thing will never get answered. Perhaps a loved one who as yet remains unsaved is something that falls into that kind of category and you, you find yourself at times in a position where you feel like you've said everything you can possibly say and, and you can't find any more words to say but your heart just aches and groans for that loved one. Or whatever the situation is. Now, says Paul, you'll sometimes have times of agonized groaning. But don't let such times suggest to you that God, therefore, is very far away and that you are as lost as you might feel you are. Don't listen to Satan, who will do his utmost to convince you that you are as lost as you feel you are. No, says the apostle, no, you are not alone. You are never 
alone as a Christian. You can never be alone. It's impossible for you to be alone as a believer. Jesus promised his disciples, I will not leave you orphans. I will send the helper, the comforter, and we shall make our home in you. God indwells you if you're a Christian in the person of his Spirit. And Paul assures you here that the, the Spirit has a very particular work that he does. There's a, a whole load of things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a Christian. But here, Paul draws our attention to one particular thing. The Spirit intercedes for you. In those times when all you feel you can do is groan. Now later in the chapter, as we've just sung in that hymn, we'll see that there is more than one who intercedes for the Christian. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, at the right hand of the Father, having risen and been exalted into heaven, intercedes for his people. But there's another we are to bring our prayers and petitions to one particular person within the Godhead, and that's the Father. Jesus taught us, pray our Father. So we bring our prayers and petitions to the Father. But the other two persons in the Godhead are interceding for us. Christ in heaven before the Father's throne. And we'll get to that next time, God willing, in verse 34. But the Spirit intercedes within each one of you. God's got you in this. He's with you in this. He's in you in this. He will hold you fast in this. Why is it that sometimes we can find ourselves so spiritually troubled? Why is it that the anguish that you feel, you know it ought to be something that you're taking to the Lord. Well, that's the result of the, the Spirit at work within you. But all I can manage is a, is a groan or a sigh, you may say. Precisely, God knows the hearts of his children. And we're taught here that it's the Spirit himself who stirs up within you these groanings. And he intercedes. And he makes known to God the groanings of your heart and your soul. And even when you can't find the words, God knows your heart. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. And because it's the Spirit's work, because it's the Spirit's doing, it will always lead to the outworking of God's will. End of verse 27. He, the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. One of the things that struck me as I was thinking through these things is that... Uh, Someone in my position can very easily 
place upon other Christians an unrealistic expectation of how you must always pray, that prayer must always be of an articulate, verbal expression of praise and thanks and confession and petition. And if it isn't, you're not praying. Well, of course, for the most part, it ought to be those things. But there will be times when you just can't. You just can't. Is it possible that even in a time of corporate prayer, there might be a situation where the only thing that any of us can muster are inward groanings because of a particular trial or affliction that we're under? Well, I think we'd have to say that wouldn't be typical of a time when the church draws together for prayer, but it's not impossible that we could find ourselves in that situation. What a wonderful assurance in these two verses in showing us the intimacy with which God knows us and loves us and cares for us. And that helper, that comforter, will draw right alongside you. And even in that situation where you're struggling to pray, when the words don't come, when you don't know which way to pray according to God's will, the Holy Spirit himself, God who knows the heart, is interceding for you before your Father's throne. What a wonderful assurance these, these verses give us. In terms of your salvation, God has done for you in Christ everything that you need that you could not do for yourself. But also in your ongoing Christian living and in the outworking of your sanctification, the Holy Spirit is producing in you that which you need to be and that which you need to do that you could never generate within yourself on your own. And that includes directing the prayers of your heart heavenwards, even when, and especially when, all you can manage is a groan or a sigh. That's how close God is to you by his Spirit. That's how intimately connected to you God is in the person of his Holy Spirit that even when only a groan is there, God who knows your heart is able to perfectly take those things to, his, to the Father and represent you there. What tender, patient, gentle, knowing love God has for his children. That's number one of our three more reasons for certain hope. The inner work of God's Spirit within each one who is God's child. And then secondly, this really well-known verse, verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. 
It's interesting that Paul does not say all things are working for our good. Now, ultimately they are. But if it said all things are working for our good, well, we could find ourselves becoming rather self-centred. We could find ourselves too often arguing back, so what's so good about this? But all things, God is working for good. For good. The good for which all things are working is that which is good in God's eyes, in God's plans, and in God's purposes. God is working all things for good. What is good is that sinners should be saved. What is good is that all for whom Christ died will be saved. What is good is that all who are saved grow up spiritually from babes to maturity. What is good is that those who love Christ deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow him. What is good is that those who love Christ keep his commandments. What is good is that the saints of God have a love for God and for one another in a way that it commends Christ and the gospel to this needy world. What is good is that you and I count all things as loss for the sake of knowing Christ and for being united to him and with him even in his sufferings. What is good is to be poor in spirit, mourning over sin, to be meek, to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers. And what is good is even to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. What is good is to be salt and light and to love your enemies as you love yourself. That's what's good. God is working all things for good. How do we know these things? Because it's to those who love God. And it's for the ones who he has called according to his purposes. God is working for good for his people. This is a very specific good which will work for and become manifest in a very specific group of people. It's important to read this verse in its context here in Romans chapter 8. I would always recommend before you read verse 28, start reading from at least verse 18 first. All of these things are working for good. 
the sufferings of this present time are working for good. They're producing that which is good. They have an end goal which is good to those who love God. If you're on our church weekend, you may remember one of the things that Sinclair Ferguson pointed out in one of his messages uh, was something regarding the way that God works in our lives. Sometimes God is taking you through a certain providence that might be a really difficult, hard providence for you. But he's actually taking you through that to prepare you to be of help to someone else. God is working all things for good. The trials and difficulties that you're enduring, well, God will certainly use them for your good spiritually, but they may prove to be an even greater good for others because that's how God is working things out. One of the struggles that most of us have is to become so caught up in our own individual circumstances and situations we fail to remember and we even refuse to try and see how God is doing a bigger thing which isn't all about me. God is weaving this tapestry of providence that we cannot even begin to fathom. I think it was... I think it was John Piper who once said, at any time in your life, God is doing a thousand things and you might only be able to see two or three of them. But God is doing a thousand things in your life. All part of his providence, working all these things for good. And sometimes as the truth of that verse sinks in, Actually, that verse will produce in us the groanings of verse 26. That God is working even in my time of great suffering, in, even in my time of great affliction, even in my time of great trial, even in my times of great sorrow, that God is working all things for good. And even though all I might be able to do is groan, the Holy Spirit, who knows your heart, intercedes for you. How can the Christian have certain hope? Because all things are working together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. And finally, we have verses 29 and 30. A third reason for having hope. And it's this, a guaranteed progression and conclusion. A guaranteed progression and conclusion. When you become a Christian, God begins something in you and with you which has a guaranteed progression and conclusion. Now for sure, it will work itself out in all of us 
rather differently. And some, at times, it will seem like they're just straight trajectory upwards. And the rest of us feel like we're up and down and up and down and up and down. But we can be sure that if you belong to the Lord, if God has done this saving work of grace within your heart, there is this guaranteed progression and conclusion. And he begins, verse 29, with for, because again, he's linking all of these thoughts together. These are not just a whole load of separate little niceties. All of these things follow through. This is one continual progressive train of thought explaining the certain realities of living as a Christian. So God has a purpose in everything. That's the end of verse 28. So do you suppose that all things working together for good and according to his purpose are two completely unrelated things? Or are they part and parcel of the same thing? Well, of course, they're all part of the same thing. God working all things together for good and according to his purpose. Well, we put those two things together, don't we? God is working all things together for good according to his purpose. Of course they're linked. And Paul lays before us in these final two verses for our consideration this evening, 29 and 30, what we might like to call the stepping stones of God's providential work in the life of a Christian. This is what God does. This is the path along which God takes us. He shows us that God is working out a very specific purpose in and through the lives of everyone who come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a Christian this evening, this is what God has done is doing and will bring to completion. It's a certainty. Why does God give us his spirit to do this very specific work within us? Why is God working all things for our good? What does he want to achieve? God has a purpose of establishing his own special people. Those who the apostle Peter describes like this in the second chapter of his first letter, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. You once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You once had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. And God is working out all of these things that we collectively might be this people. This is the great good that God is producing. These are the purposes that God is working towards. These are the things which are the will of God that the Holy Spirit knows and will take in, it, in intercession for us. God has a grand conclusion in view Verse 29, conforming us to the image of his Son. And that work's already begun, and that work will be brought to its completion. And bringing us to our final glorification, and to spend eternity with him in his everlasting kingdom. 
This is the trajectory that every single Christian is on. So the Spirit will be in us the helper, the comforter, the intercessor that we need him to be in order that we might be this people. God will work all things to bring about this conclusion. This is where everything is leading. God is directing all of history and everything in your life that we might be the people of God that we read about there in Paul's letter. And so how does Paul explain it in these final few verses? Well, he says, you were foreknown to God. That's the starting point. You were foreknown. Who he foreknew. Which isn't simply a matter of him in time past knowing what you would do. Knowing someone in the Bible. Knowing someone. Knowing someone refers to an intimate relationship. The Bible speaks of a husband and a wife knowing each other. It's referring to the most intimate, their deepest expressions of love and affection, one for the other. That's what it means to know each other. And God foreknew you, loved you deeply in eternity past. He knew you, loved you, predestined you, chose you for himself, chose you to be saved. And that through that salvation to be rescued from your sin, and that you might become totally transformed into the likeness of his own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. How does he make sure that those he has foreknown and those he has predestined will be thus saved? He calls them, and he calls them with a call that they cannot resist. He awakens you from the deadness of your sins. And by his Spirit, he makes you to be alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls you. He removes that blindness of your mind that Paul talks about to the Corinthian church. That blindness of mind that is put there by Satan, he removes it. He gives you eyes to see. He gives you ears to hear. He gives you a heart to receive. And he visits you with the gift of faith. He calls you. Through the preaching of the gospel, your soul is stirred and you're convinced of your sin and of Christ and you believe and you repent of your sins and you trust in Christ. Why? Because he has called you. And all of that is encapsulated in God's calling you to himself. And as we've seen already in this letter, in Christ you then are justified before God. You're reconciled to him. You're made right in his eyes. He declares you no longer condemned in all of your sins because his own son has dealt with all of that. And now the very righteousness of Christ is upon you. That's how God now sees you. That's who God now declares you to be, justified. 
It all began in eternity past when God knew you and chose you. It became the reality in your soul and in your life as he called you. And you have this great assurance of faith that you now are right with God because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day, one day it will all be gloriously completed. Little by little, in our earthly pilgrimage, the likeness of Christ is growing, growing, growing. One day it will be complete. Every day in your earthly pilgrimage, you're doing away with your old sinful nature and putting on Christ, godliness, righteousness. But the day is coming when it will all be completed. It will all be finished. He will do it. He will do it. So, sufferings, back in verse 18, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And we do now groan as we wait for that day. But the Spirit will intercede for you so that you may endure and so that you may persevere to the end. And God is working all things for the good of his church so that not one of his children will be lost along the way. Every single one of them will be safe in glory. This is his great purpose for which we have all been foreknown and predestined and to which we have all been called. And Christ will be the firstborn amongst many brethren. Now, not firstborn in the sense of physical birth, but firstborn in terms of rank and position. The firstborn was the heir. Being the firstborn afforded a, a place of privilege and blessing, and that's the emphasis here. That's why in verse 17, believers are described as joint heirs with Christ. He is the rightful heir. And in that sense, the firstborn. But we all become heirs with him. And now he has many brethren. If you're a believer, you're already one of them. And so there's this connecting flow of truth as Paul guides us from verse to verse through Romans chapter 8. What a blessing it is to be a child of God. And dear unconverted friends who may be amongst us this evening, what a loving, saving, caring God is placed before you this evening. Look at what he does for sinners to see you safely from earth to heaven to bring you from death to life, to take you from condemnation to acceptance and forgiveness, to take you from everlasting torment to eternal glory. Why would you reject such a God as this? Why would you turn him away? Why would you refuse him? And dear Christian friends, what hope is yours? What assurance is yours? I want to read some verses as we draw to a close now from the second letter of Peter 
from chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Listen to this. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Saviour, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which now exist are kept in store by the same word, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. These things are sure and they're certain. And until that day, until that day, you have the Spirit within you interceding before the Father. And God is working all things together for good to those who love God. Do you love him? He's working all things for good. Those who are the called according to his purpose. Oh Lord, enlarge our scanty, our tiny thought to know the wonders thou hast wrought. Unloose our stammering tongues to tell thy love immense, unsearchable. What are our works but sin and death? Till thou thy quickening spirit breathe. Thou givest the power, thy grace to move. O wondrous grace, O boundless love. Our hearts then melt, our eyes o'erflow, our words are lost, nor will we know, nor will we think of aught beside, my Lord, my love is crucified. That we would think upon these things, that we would have hearts set upon the things of God and set upon the things of Christ, 
that we would heed the great exhortations of God's word as Paul reveals these things to us, that you have everything that you need as a Christian believer. And God has begun this marvelous, wonderful, saving work within you and he will bring it to its completion until together we meet him in the air on that great day.